thanks to the Lord. Let's come to this great teaching book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 to 17. There are some books of the New Testament that we don't visit maybe as often as we should. And one of them is Romans. I think I could count in one hand, sadly, the sermons I've got in Romans compared with all the other sermons I've got in other books of the Bible. Uh, And that's really sad because it's a teaching book and we need to learn some of the great doctrines and understandings of the evangelical faith. And we're going to do that today. Romans chapter 1 verse 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous, or we could say the just, will live by faith. I'm sure God will bless his precious word to all of our hearts. Let's have a word of prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, that the Bible is not just full of stories, although we appreciate these stories and we learn so much from them. But it's also a book of teaching. And we pray that we'll just uh, learn afresh something of what it means to be a believer as an evangelical Christian. We thank you, Lord, for the evangelical church throughout the world. And we bless you that we belong to that body of people who seek to find the truth in the word of God rather than anything else in the whole world. And we thank you our gospel is not a gospel of works but of faith. 
And we ask you, Lord, to teach us afresh what that really means for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if you've been listening to the news or watching the television much lately, but if you have, you'll perhaps realise that there's been something being commemorated in Scotland. And that is, of course, the coming of the, the Reformation in Scotland in four, 460 years ago, 1560, uh, 450 years ago in 1560. And uh, can anybody tell me the man that God used to bring about this Reformation in Scotland? If you don't know his name, shame on you. What was his name? John Knox. John Knox. John Knox. And what church was it where he proclaimed this Reformation gospel? What was the church he was in? Where's the church in Scotland? Come on now. Didn't even know myself till I saw the picture. There. <laughs> I thought it would be St. Giles, but actually it was St. John's in Perth. And see, when that was the place where he got up and declared the, the glorious gospel of our Lord. Not everybody liked John Knox, especially Queen Mary, you know, Mary Queen of Scotland. <laughs> but um, he was the one that brought this reformation to Scotland. You know, there are some words or phrases in history, and they go down in history. And they really affect the whole world or the whole country. And that was certainly uh, true. The watchword of the French Revolution was, of course, liberty, equality, fraternity. And with that phrase emblazoned on their banners, they marched to Versailles and changed the face of Europe for at least a century. At Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln declared that there should be government of the people, by the people, for the people. And with that phrase, the idea of democracy was born in the USA. But never... In the world, I don't believe. But these other words, so profound and so great an influence, than the words, the just shall live by faith. That was profound. I need to tell you the story of that. The story goes back, of course, to uh, Martin Luther. I don't know if you realise what was happening in Germany at that time. As you well know, Martin Luther was a monk. A very, very sensitive person who really wanted to, uh, to go for God. He wanted to be close to God. And he tried all kinds of things. He used to lie on the bare stone floor with his clothes, hardly any clothes on, to put that conflict himself, inflict himself with the coldness of the stones, believing that that would get him merit in heaven. He went through all kinds of things. And of course at that particular time there were all kinds of things going on in the, in the church. The Catholic Church, if you want to call it that, the pre-Reformation Church. And one of the things that was going on was this terrible sale of indulgences. That was, uh, you could buy your way out of failure and guilt and sin. And so what you found was the priest would be going down the road in Germany, these poor people, very poor people, the peasants there in Germany, and he would be saying and shouting out, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Now what would you do if you, if you realised that your mum and dad and your members of the family had died and they were suffering in purgatory and if you could put your last penny in that box of the priest and they would spring out of purgatory right into heaven, what would you do? 
you'd give your last penny. And so what happened was that the peasant people got poorer and poorer and the Catholic Church got richer and richer. And what happened in Germany was a peasant's revolt at the end of the day. The other thing that happened, of course, was there was no music in the church. When people went to the church, they sat there and did nothing. The priest actually did the service in Latin and not the new Latin. They weren't allowed to sing any hymns. They weren't allowed to have a Bible in their hands. Because that would be profane because the, the Bible had to be handled by the church. And only the church can interpret the Bible. And to put the Bible in the hands of the people was a terrible sin. Because they would not understand how to put the Bible into practice. No hymns, no Bible, no understanding what was going on at the front. And of course communion. They weren't allowed to receive the bread and they weren't allowed to drink the wine. The other thing that was happening was that you could get more indulgences, you could buy more indulgences. So Martin Luther heard that if he could climb the 28 steps of St. Peter's Church in Rome, the Pope had said that to do that was to buy yourself extra indulgences out of guilt and failure and sin. And that's what Martin Luther tried to do. He went to Rome and he got on his knees and on his knees he climbed up these 28 steps and it was while he was doing so God gave him a wonderful revelation of Romans chapter 1 and 17 the just shall live by faith and Martin Luther said to himself what am I doing here what am I doing on my knees? And he talked about the pain that was like a, a lancet going into his legs and into his knee. What am I doing here? When my Bible says, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Not by works, not by crawling up these steps, not by doing all that kind of thing or putting a coin in some priest's box that people will jump out of purgatory into heaven. He said, it's all wrong. I need to get back to the word of God. And so what did he do? He had to flee because the authority of the church was against him. He gave the German people the word of God in their own language. He translated the Bible into German so that they could read it for themselves. That was a terrible thing to do as far as the church was concerned. He then decided that the, the Lord's Supper was not according to the teaching of the church at that time. The teaching of the church at that time, and, and it still is to a, to a certain degree, is this doctrine of transubstantiation, that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ, and the wine becomes his blood, and therefore the people can't handle the bread and can't handle the wine in case it gets spilled. If you spill the wine, you're spilling Christ's brand. If you don't handle that bread, that, that's Christ's body. Whereas we believe it symbolises the body and the blood of Christ. They believe there was a point in the service where that actually translates into the body and blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. And the Protestant church rejected that. And Martin Luther says, I'm against that teaching. I don't see that in the word of God. And so he rose up. And what he did was he cut 95 things that were wrong with the church. 
and he wrote them all down and he took a hammer and a nail and he nailed them to the church at Wittenberg in Germany and when the authorities saw that Martin Luther had to flee he had to flee into exile away from the area because they wanted to lynch him they wanted to kill him because all that he was saying the just shall live by faith and the question that we want to ask ourselves today because of all that's going on this celebration I was watching you watch that program on television it was pathetic it was called the church in crisis did you see it? It was to commemorate this 450 years of the Reformation in Scotland. It was the state of the Church of Scotland today. It would make you weep. The reckon if it keeps going on as it's going on with its decline, by 2030 something, there'll be no churches left. I don't believe that, by the way. And this program was showing, there was a guy there over in Glasgow there, he was a minister, and he had a wee handful of older people at the front, a nice looking building they were in, and there was just decline after decline after decline. I says, Lord, there's churches in the Church of Scotland, there's many churches that are evangelical, and they showed you one little clip of St George's Tron in Glasgow. And you could see the smile on the people's faces and you could see the balcony filled. And I said, there it is. God's working in his church. And they just flew past that to speak about the decline. They wanted to have a program on the crisis. They didn't want to mention that there are certain bits of that church of Scotland that are doing very well. One third of the church of Scotland churches is supporting two thirds. I'll tell you, the one third will be evangelical. They're good givers. And what have you. And of course they mentioned other issues in the church as well. That I won't go into at the present time. But you know this. It's just amazing to find out that this is a central doctrine. And I want to speak about it today. It's not a story of Abraham and Isaac. And you got a good dose of that. Not only last Sunday but Wednesday as well. That's really good. It's not a story like that. It's a teaching. The just shall live by faith and I want to ask you the question the question is this why is that so important to us and one of the things I want to say to you is this I'll tell you why it's so important because every sin is a sin against God not everybody realises that some people think well I've sinned against my brother I've sinned against my sister I've done something wrong at my workplace I've done this wrong but it hasn't been against God it is against God every sin that we commit affects God and it comes through very clearly in the teaching of Jesus inasmuch as you have not done it unto the least of these my brothers you have not done to me I am involved says Jesus in all our relationships in our failures and our sins he is involved when we wrong somebody else we wrong God God is very much involved and that's why this doctrine of justification by faith is so important because it affects our relationship with God and only God can sort it out only God so there's not this you can't have this idea of well I've already wronged that person or I haven't actually wronged God you can't say that and because God is involved in all the wrongs and all the failures of our life, then we need to learn about this justification by faith. And you see, how does the world react to that? How does, for instance, if you had a family, for instance, 
and you prayerfully brought up this family and this son of yours suppose you had a son and he messed up in the family you prayed for them you, you supported them through and this son messed up how does he make amends? But the world says well he really needs to do something he really needs to sort himself out he needs to make some sort of recompense now Hollywood would say well uh, this story is a good ending the son buys a villa for his mum and dad and, and everything goes all well life is not like that that's not how it really goes and you find in the story of the prodigal son what does the son do who feels the failure of his life and he had better relations with his father and, and things were better at home he says I'm just going to go back to the house and I'm going to say father I'm not worthy to be your son just make me a slave I want to be inflicted with some kind of punishment I want to do some menial task I'm not even worthy to be called your son now that's the world's reaction that we might suffer some kind of pain inflict herself with something like that or deprive herself of some kind of comfort and that was the teaching of Martin Luther's time put some terrible hairy shirt on or lie in some stone floor or, or go up steps just deprive yourself of something make yourself in pain and that will sort everything out that was not how it worked out in the prodigal son was it? that's not how it worked out the just shall live by faith. The evangelical church turned its back on penances and self-renunciation. But of course that raises a question. Does that mean that we can sin and be forgiven with no cost? That we can just go around sinning our lives away and knowing God's forgiveness and, and there's no recompense, there's nothing along the way. Well that is not the truth. And that's why we need to ask us what this justification by faith really means. Why does the evangelical church think so much about it? Here's number one point. I've got some notes for you. You can take away if you want. The evangelical church refuses to be negative. It sees justification by faith as positive. It's something that's helpful to us. It's something that really lifts us up in our faith. It doesn't knock us down into the to grovel in the muck and in the dirt and say, you are not worthy to be a son or a daughter of God. It says, come, come on. I want to lift you up. There's something wonderfully positive about this justification by faith. And the second thing about it is that the reason why the evangelical church find it so helpful, not only is it positive, but it's creative. It's not destructive. It's not destroying your life or my life and, and making us go through things that will destroy us. It's something that's creating within us a new and loving way. A new love for God. A new understanding of God. And that's why it's important to us. And the second truth I want to mention is that we need to know is that the evil evangelical Christianity says you can't know that new and living way by yourself. This is not something that comes as a revelation from your experience of life, from your understanding of life. This is a, a revelation that comes through God. You cannot get out of that bitterness into that love by yourself. 
You cannot get out of that failure in your life just by thinking it through for yourself. This has got to happen by God. And that's why justification by faith is so important. That evil men and women can't find it in their hearts to live a good life. That those who are dead in trespasses and sin cannot rise out of that themselves. And the Bible is constantly teaching us. Only by faith can we be righteous. Only God can sort everything out. And that's so important to us. Notice something else about this justification by faith. It says in the scripture, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall exist by faith. And the problem is in some Christians is that their only existence, they've got enough faith to die by, but not enough faith to live by. And here's this wonderful verse, the just shall live by faith. What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to live by faith? Who are the just? What does it mean to live by faith? Who are the just? Well, I'll tell you who the just are. The just are the people who have come to a knowledge of God through the death of Christ upon the cross. The just are not those who believe that they're living a very good life. Because atheists live that kind of life. Humanists live that kind of life. They believe that they're doing pretty well. The just are those who realize, I cannot get out of this mess myself. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. And I cannot rise out of that deadness and trespasses and sin. Only God can do that for me. So the just or the righteous are those who have come to that realisation. Most of us, you know, don't want to live with the enemy, do you? If you've got somebody you don't like, you don't want to spend much time with them, do you? You try to avoid them if you possibly can. But when that enemy becomes your friend, that's totally different. And when that friend is close to you, you want to spend time with them. You want to understand their, their every sort of whim and fancy and, and try and please them. And the same is true with God. We have been the enemies of God because of our sin. The wrath of God was kind of almost getting poured out upon us. But instead of us, it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And we who were enemies of Christ are friends. And so we want to live with those who are our friends. We want to live with God. We want to walk with God. Because he is the one through Jesus Christ. That brings us into that righteousness. By faith. That's so important. We want to live with God. We don't want to live with the enemy. The justified are those who are brought into a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not somebody who has climbed the moral staircase, albeit 28 steps of the church in Rome. Not somebody like that. But somebody who has heard from God. I want to lift you up. There's a new and living way. And it's open to you through Jesus Christ upon the cross. I find that so important. The prodigal son. He wanted to be a slave. He wanted to go through some terrible rigours and, and go through some terrible uh, menial tasks. It's as if the father saying to his boy, you can't do that. 
He can't come into this house as a slave. You mean more to me than a slave. You are a son. You're a son of my family. And because you are a son, I want to welcome you back. I want to to give you the shoes for your feet and the ring for your finger and a wonderful feast of the calf. Kill the fatted calf that we might have a celebration. This son who was lost is found, who was dead is alive again. You can't do that. You mean more to me than a slave. You're a son. And that's the wonderful revelation that we have in God's word. The prodigal son comes back and he's not coming back as a slave. Finally, what does living by faith mean? It means living as those who believe that the loving attitude of God towards men and women is really, really true. This is truth. We believe it's true. And we want to live by it. I don't know how many of you have heard of Willie Barclay. Uh, some of his teaching isn't all that good actually some, some students used to talk about uh, uh, what is it called we see in a mirror Barclay you know it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, but any, here's what he said about faith in fully fledged faith a man hears a Christian message of the amazing mercy and love of God agrees that it is true and then he casts himself upon it in a life of total yieldedness I like that in fully fledged faith a man hears the Christian message of the amazing mercy and love of God agrees that it is true and casts himself upon it in a life of total yieldedness that's what it means to live by faith I'm casting myself totally on the truth that God loves me and that God wants to love me you know it's called the, it's sometimes called the divine exchange have you heard the divine exchange all my sin and the sin of the world have been placed upon Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the tree his righteousness have been assumed into my life God looks at me not through Alec Russell he looks at me through Christ and his righteousness And because that is true, he is able to say, welcome. Welcome into heaven. You're accepted in the beloved. Is that not fantastic? I just think that's fantastic. It's called the divine exchange. My sins in his body on the tree, his righteousness becomes mine. And God looks at me through the eyes of Christ and sees Christ in me. Accepted in the beloved there's a wee story with it I'll, I'll finish and it's the story of this wee boy who was sleeping with his father in the same bed one night and, and it was pretty dark one of these dark winter nights and the wee boy was getting a wee bit afraid and he started to sing now his dad was trying to sleep and he was singing away to his heart's content and his dad said look son would you just and he maybe said shut up and, and stop singing I want to try and sleep and there was this terrible silence for a wee while and the wee boy turned to his dad and said dad is your face turned my way is your face looking my way there was a time when Jesus was on the cross when the face of God was turned away because of the sin that was placed on Christ at Calvary. But because of that sacrifice, we can say that God's face is turned our way. Even when it's dark, 
even when it's difficult, God's face is looking our way. The just shall live by faith. And that's so important to us as evangelical Christians that we want to hold on to that no matter what. Do you believe it? The just shall live. The righteous shall live by faith. And it's not our righteousness. It's his has come into our life. And God looks at us through the eyes of Christ. And he says you've accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's pray. Loving God, we just want to thank you for your word to our hearts. And as the nation perhaps looks at the church today and thinks about the reformation that came through Knox, we are saddened by the state of the church, the national church. And we ask you, loving God, to help the, the media to highlight the good things that are happening in the national church of those who are going forward with Jesus and preaching the gospel and, and teaching the glorious truth of the kingdom and we ask Lord that the media will highlight these positive things because we realise that justification by faith is positive and it's creative it's not negative and destructive as that programme certainly was and we ask your loving God to help us to realise how important that teaching is for each of our lives that the just shall live not exist but live by faith help us to live our lives casting ourselves in total yieldingness upon that wonderful truth in Jesus name we pray Amen